you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Galatians. We'll be starting off in our series that we left off for Advent, starting it up again for the next few weeks. And before we dive into this, let me open up in prayer. Father God, we just come together to worship you, to lift your name up high, to glorify your name. God, we want to continue to worship you as we open up your word together, as we look at what you have to say. Lord, I pray that you, we would apply what we will hear to our lives and that we would leave this place contemplating what your word has to tell us. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and the appropriate affection. Use this sermon, God, for your glory and for your name, for the joy of your people and the salvation of the lost. And amen. Galatians 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 15. We're almost at the end. But it says this. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persecution is not from him who calls you. This persuasion, sorry. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. You know, as I think about our culture, our our society, one of the things that we seem to love, we just love this, is something called freedom. We fight whole wars based upon this concept of freedom. We, 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 We hold it very highly. The trouble is that we generally have the wrong idea of freedom. In Canada, we have a whole document called the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We hold to that very, very tightly in our society. And I'm very thankful for it because it's what allows us to come here and and worship in a free way. 
But some speak of freedom in political terms. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to vote. Now others work for freedom from oppressing social structures. However, the, the most uh, we, we really call freedom, we, we mostly we focus on personal f- freedom. There's a sociologist called Robert. He says this, freedom is perhaps the most resonant, deeply held value. Yet freedom turns out to mean being left alone by others. Not having other people's values, ideas, or styles of life forced upon one. Being free of arbitrary authority in work, family, and political life. See, in other words, what we really want is freedom to be left alone. I can kind of resonate with this sometimes. Uh, and I was actually reading this over and going, yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of me. Especially after a busy season of family and friends and I just want to be alone. But the reason we want to be left alone is that we are naturally selfish. Right? I want to be left alone because I just, that's what I want. We want to do what we want to do whenever, wherever, however, and with whomever we please. Think about it. How do you react when someone interrupts you when you're enjoying a good book or watching your Netflix movie and that doorbell rings? I know that if I'm reading a book or watching a show or something and I'm interrupted, I'm not really thinking, yay! Let's be honest. I'm not. If this is what freedom means to us, then believing in God becomes extremely inconvenient. If there is a God, and there is, he undoubtedly has an opinion about what we ought to do, where we ought to go, and what we're to do with those people. What many of us want these days is not freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. And consider these words by the Free Inquiry, the leading magazine in secular humanism. It says this, Some ideas can enslave you. Some can set you free. If you crave freedom from baseless dogma, if you want to think for yourself instead of submitting to tradition, authority, or blind faith, put aside religion, despair, guilt, and sin, and find new meaning and joy in life. In other words, you have to be free from God before you can be free at all. And that's what this world is telling us every day. But that's not what Paul tells us. Freedom from religion is not freedom at all. It is another form of bondage. Freedom is not necessarily a virtue. We always need to ask what is meant by freedom. Whether freedom is worth having or not depends on what kind of freedom it truly is. The best and truest freedom is the kind described by the pastor, John Stott, who says this, freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly to love for God and others. So what's Paul going to be talking about here? Is freedom. And how God defines what freedom is. 
See, the main thing that we need to remember as we continue on this passage is that living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping into bondage. That's the key thing. Living in freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping into bondage. And we see that in this first point. Christ has set us free, so live free. What a concept. Paul says in verse 1, he says right there, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is the, the heading, uh, the big idea, the main, like if you were thinking of the newspaper, it is the title. And everything else is supporting this. Christ has set us free. This is who we are, and Paul is creating a tension here, if you've caught the grammar in this sentence. Again, I'm not a grammar person, so I have to look this stuff up. So, but it's important. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The indicative here is pointing to something. God has done something for us. By his son, he has set us free from bondage, from sin, from, from slavery, from what separated us from having a relationship with him. He has set us free. But then he comes and Paul says his next statement here, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. There's an imperative there. Because you have been set free, you can now stand firm. So he's not only saying, this has been done to you, but now there's a commandment. But you can fulfill the commandment because this is what's been done to you. So stand firm. It's a command. See, when you have been justified, you have been thrown into a world of struggle. It's a world of struggle. It's a hard world. To live a life that is holy and pleasing to God is hard it is so hard the in between time bonded by a great accomplishment of redemption in Christ's finished work on the cross look at your life look at what God has called you from and called you to look at who you are in Christ But on the other hand, there's this not quite yet of the consummation of God's work because we struggle still, don't we? God's work is not quite done yet and will only happen when Christ finally comes, which is that final hope that we have. You're going to continue to struggle as a free person. I remember once hearing about how people... um, uh, continue to struggle uh, with wanting to be in prison. For those who've been in prison for a long period of time, they, they struggle transitioning into the freedom that they had. There's almost a longing to go back. You know, if I, I know you're probably not supposed to watch this movie, but Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, see, I'm not the only one. You know, but it's a, it's a great picture of that struggle of these people who spent their whole life in prison and then they're released and they just don't know what to do. So they're actually committing crimes to go back in because that's all they know. 
Right? As, as people who've been set free, we're always struggling. We're thinking like the Israelites did in, in the wilderness. Hey, Egypt was better. It's better to be a slave than to be free. See, we think we're free in this prison. We think we're free walking around in this four-wall, small room screaming, Hey, we're free! But you're free within this prison cell. And Christ comes, he opens those gates, and he allows us to come back, and for some reason we still struggle with going back into that. But Paul says we are free. We're no longer a prisoner in bondage. This is who we are. Objectively, we know what Romans 5 verse 1 says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a pastor. I know that. I grew up in the church. I memorized that verse. But subjectively, we are learning to live free from the power of sin still. We are free, but we do not always live free. We are in need of becoming what we already are. That is sanctification, living as a free, justified people, resting in Christ's love. See, the outcome of freedom is rejoicing, is it not? Like if you were trapped in prison, and if you were in prison your whole life and you got out, you're pretty excited, I think. I've never been there, so I don't know, but I assume. And it's an amazing thing. This freedom allows us to rejoice in Christ because we have come to our final resting place. We are not under condemnation anymore and we do not have to be slaves to what we were previously slaved to. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we believers who believe in Christ are enabled to stand firm against the encroachment of such demonic forces that Paul talked about earlier in his letter. We need to remember what Jesus' words, that they are indeed true in John 8, verse 38, which says, So if the Son set you free, you are free indeed. So if the Son set you free, you are free indeed. So, what if you're not rejoicing? If you're not, if you know this, but are not glorifying God deeply because of it, then it raises the question of why not, doesn't it? One of the answers has to be that you've forgotten how terrible your slavery was. Think about what the Israelites were doing in Exodus. They were whining. I hate whining. I can't stand it. My dog does it all the time. It drives me nuts. Like, stop whining. Like, you got food, you got water, the door's right there. Like, what do you want? And here's Israel, they're complaining. And they're whining. Oh, life is so hard. And God's like, I gave you food, I gave you water. You're free, you can do, like, you can walk around. Oh, Egypt was better. Really? Egypt was better than what you've got. So one of the answers has to be that you've forgotten how terrible your slavery was, which means you've lost sight of how bad your sin is before a holy God. 
We need to understand that God hates sin. He hates it. The gospel is, is not awesome unless you see the awfulness of your previous condition. Thomas Watson said it, Tell sin to be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. You know, I just stand in awe of what God has done for me. I'm a church kid, so I don't have one of those crazy testimonies. But if I'm still a church kid sitting there, just standing in awe of what God has done for me, like, look it. Did you know I used to cry in front of people? I did, I did. I used to cry in front of people. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Look what God has done. Because of who God is and what he has done in, in you, you are commanded to stand firm. You are to be, make a visible to the world around you what God has already declared and sealed when he justified you by faith in Jesus Christ. Living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping back into the bondage. And folks, if we're not daily reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how in the world can you remind yourself of that you're free? I think part of the problem why we keep acting like we're slaves is because we're not spending the time to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, I don't think I know. I struggle with it. And every day, when I don't like to, when I don't want to, I sit down and I I try to every day. Remind myself of the goodness of God. Because He's good. And it's rooted in the gospel. That Christ died for my sins. And He rose again. That's the gospel. The gospel frees us from condemnation. So do not put on the yoke that says that you are not free in Christ. The yoke is, that yoke is a heavy load. It's a yoke that crushes people. It's lifeless. It offers no hope and no security. On the other hand, the gospel takes people to Christ as their final resting place. In Christ, we find our peace, our liberty, our joy, and our security. Christ has set you free. Paul really wants us to understand that. So the question is this. Do you believe that you are free objectively from condemnation? I know you struggle with it. I do too. Do you believe you are accepted in Christ perfectly? That no matter how much of a screw-up you are, as Paul says, he is the greatest of sinners. And I look at that and I go, Paul, you clearly don't know me. <laughs> Do you understand that you are accepted in Christ perfectly? And subjectively, are you living out of that new identity and not reverting back to slavery you are in Christ? Here's the thing. If you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you are growing in Christ. It's not a choice. That's the outcome. Christ has set you free. This is what happens to you. Now stand firm. Because Christ has set me free, I stand firm. 
I don't stand firm on my own. That's called legalism. And it's a rat race. And it always, always comes out with what Paul talks about later with the biting and devouring of one another at the end of this passage. So Christ has set us free. So live free. But he continues on. If Christ has set you free, you are free. And the next point is that Christ has set us free so we can live in truth. Christ has set us free, so live in truth. Paul comes off in these next 10 verses, from verses 10 to 12. He begins to outline a false message and the false people who do it. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So four things come out of this, of putting yourself back under this yoke, that you think you can make yourself better before a holy God that you think you can help enough old ladies cross the street to make yourself better. You can't. If you accept this false message, he says, then you view Christ as insufficient. Verse 2, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept the circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I think to me that's probably the greatest thing of these four Four things that happen. Christ is insufficient. His death and his resurrection is not enough. It is enough. We just sang that song, Christ alone. If you sang that song, I hope he's sufficient for you. Because he is. If you accept this message, you must obey all of it. Not just a little bit. Not like you pick and choose. You've got to do it all. Instead of resting in the one who accomplished and obeyed all the law perfectly, you've got to do it all. Let me ask you, have you ever lied? Maybe today? Did you tell someone that you're good? Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Really? You probably lied. Right? Lusted? Wanted something that you didn't want? Go down the list. How are you doing obeying the whole law? I know I'm doing awful. (laughs) Next thing that happens is you are turning away from the doctrine of grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You didn't deserve it. And here God is. He gave us himself. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up. He died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose again. That's grace. You are severed, as he says in verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Next thing is this, you lose the hope of the future glory. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Christ is my hope. The gospel is hope. Christ, in Christ we have hope. We receive this hope by trusting in Christ, by grace alone. It's like the song says, my hope is built on nothing less. Come on, older people. And then Jesus' blood and righteousness. This hope keeps us running. Keeps us going. 
When tough is, when things are hard, when things are rough, when I don't understand why and I'm trying to figure out why things are just not going the way that I planned, I go back to the gospel and I say, God, you must be sovereign. Because I sure didn't choose you. The Bible says I didn't want to. Samuel Rutherford said it this way, if Christ Jesus be the period the end and longing, lodging home at the end of your journey, there is no fear. Ye go to a friend. Ye make look death in the face with joy. Liberated people live by faith as they eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. As Paul points out in verse 6, the mark of a life that's are justified, are found in faith, hope, and love. Work-based righteousness lead to fear, bondage, and despair. But the opposite happens when we believe in the doctrine of grace and trust in the finished work of Christ. Our works come out of the faith we have in Jesus Christ. They are a result of the faith, not a way to get more brownie points for our holy God. Because we all know that the brownie point system is flawed. Because you can lose those on a dime. Right? It's like when you're a child and you're trying to do all your chores because you think that you might, you did something. And you're suddenly obeying your parents all of a sudden. You're doing all those chores that your parents asked you to do. And then you tell your parents <laughs> what, what you actually did. What happens to all those brownie points? Does that help you when it comes to your punishment? Not in my experience. See, likely this message, there are me- like any message, there are also messengers as Paul continues on. And you can point them out by looking at their followers. You can, you can spot them because false messengers hinder obedience to the truth. As Paul says in verse 7, we were running, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And further, these false teachers aren't from God. This persuasion, he says, is not from him who calls you. Don't believe the messenger if they are teaching a gospel that is not the gospel that you see. So again, how do you counter the false message of a false gospel if you don't know what the true gospel is? God has specifically revealed in his word who he is, what he has done for us, and what he requires of us in his word. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor Nate, God, I think God is telling me, my response is usually, and maybe a nicer, harsher way, depending on my mood, chapter and verse. God's word tells me. It is sufficient for all things because my God is sufficient. So false teachers aren't from God. False teachers can't contaminate others. He says right here, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I've never baked bread in my entire life, but I've seen it. And you know that, right? This little piece of leaven, you put it into the flour and whatever else they put in there. And, and, and it just comes up. Right? And then you beat it down again, and then it comes up again. Just this little bit leavens this whole lump. See, I've been criticized a lot for, not here yet, 
uh, I've been criticized a lot for being too harsh sometimes when it comes to uh, other people who deviate from the Bible. But I see here Paul's illustration is that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. See, the Bible says things, specifically says things. And there are many things that we can argue about all day long, but there are things that are unchanging. There's a lot of danger when we just allow a little bit. Just a little. See, false teachers also, as he goes on, those people that are spreading this false message, they will be judged, as he says in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view because why? He called you. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And Paul's like the man. He gets to say stuff that I would get in trouble for saying. False messengers persecute true teachers. As he says, because he's in prison. And he's being persecuted for bringing the cross because the cross is the most offensive thing you'll ever hear. Why are they persecuting Paul? Because the cross offends people. People would rather you make much of them and preach a salvation by work system than to stand up and brag on Jesus and the cross and point people to him as the only way. So why does the cross offend? It crushes human pride. And I'm very prideful. It says to you and to me, no, you aren't okay. You need to be saved. You need a savior. That you can't do it on your own. It obliterates, it destroys the religion of human achievements. And we see how much Paul really hates this message later on. In verse 12, you don't hear a lot of preachers preaching on this one. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. You ever wondering what Paul feels? <laughs> and all the men are like, eee. See, I'm a pretty blunt guy. I can say some coarse things, but I've never said this. The gospel meant everything to Paul. It meant everything. Because it is everything. Because it's Jesus Christ who who died for our sins and rose again. And Paul comes along and he says, how dare you pervert that? Because it's the gospel that has the power of salvation. It is only through the gospel that you can be saved. If you are believing in anything else but what the gospel and what God has said the gospel is, you aren't. You can't be saved. You can't be. This is why Paul is so strict on this and why he's so harsh. Jesus said even harsher words. He called people to go to the pit of hell. Why don't you wrap a, 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 a millstone around your neck and jump into the river? You think he's talking figuratively or literally? What? The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So some people might come to me and say, oh, Pastor Nate, that's not a very Christian thing you said. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Jesus said it. You're right. These people aren't. If you believe in a false gospel, you are just as condemned. And I want you to know the true gospel. I really, really want you to know the true gospel. And that's what Paul wants you to know. The false gospel brings condemnation. It puts you back underneath the yoke. But you are free. And I want you to be a free people. Living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping into bondage. Christ has freed us through his atoning work. Trust in Christ's atoning work alone for salvation. Find your righteousness in him. Rest in what he has done for you in Christ alone. As people who have been liberated by Christ, we stand firm in the truth that causes us to live in love and serve one another. See, the outcome of a false gospel, as Paul describes here, is that you begin to bite and devour one another. That's what he says in verse 15. Any deviation from the gospel of Jesus Christ, if your foundation is on anything else, it shows in your life. It shows. Who you are inside does come out, eventually. For me, it comes out in stressful situations. So Christ has set us free. Live in love and serve, as Paul continues on in verses 13 to 15. The outcome of being free is that you would love and serve as the one who loved and served you. You're struggling with loving that person that's just a pain? Just imagine how much of a pain you are to God, and he still saved you. He calls you a son or daughter. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, if you can't forgive, you're not forgiven. Because how could I truly understand what God has forgiven me from, yet hold that person and what they did to me against them? So the outcome of being free is that you would love and serve as one who loved and served you. Freedom from the law does not do away with the obligation of holy conduct, okay? So don't get this. You don't get to go off and do whatever you want and act like you are in bondage. You are called to a different life. You have a new identity. That means you act differently. Justified people are now free to do what Christ wants. We see this in verse 13. For you who are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he says. Christian freedom is not a freedom to sin, but to be freed from sin. Christian freedom... Christian freedom is a freedom to enjoy serving others and pursuing godliness. Do not live to gratify the desires of the flesh, Paul says. That is an abuse of freedom and a misunderstanding of freedom. The call of freedom is a call to oneness in Christ and to loving service with a believing community. 
The Galatians were saved to be a group of isolated individuals. Did you see that? Did you catch that? How do you serve and love one another if you're not part of a family? You can't. It's impossible. You're actually going back to the perverted idea of freedom. I'm by myself. God doesn't call us just to himself. He calls us into a family. That's why church membership is an important thing. See, the call, Christ has liberated you so that you could be in a gospel-centered community that is gathered around the word of God. Do not be a Christian ninja. You can quote me on that one. Just sliding in and out of worship service without anyone seeing you. That's counter to what the God has called us to do and to be. The Lord saved us so we could love and serve each other. See, living in freedom of Christ keeps us from sliding into bondage. As people who have been liberated by Christ, we stand firm in the truth that causes us to live in love and serve one another. Living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping back into the bondage. And we need to remind ourselves every day. But that's why we're also part of a family. It's why we come to worship on a Sunday. So I can come and say to you, hey, let me remind you of the gospel. Because you've got to go back out there. Monday's coming. Monday's coming. And there's six more days until the next Sunday. So let us come together as a family and encourage each other in the love of Christ, reminding each other the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again. That we are no longer the same people that we once were, that God has called us out of that and into a new life. See, church isn't just about showing up. It's about being reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ and worshiping our awesome God. So what? I was talking about the uh, movie Chariots of Fire to a younger group, and they all looked at me like, what? (laughs) That movie came out before I was born, and I know that movie. I think. I don't know. Anyways. Eric Little has that famous line in there. And I, I love that line. I actually saw that in my kid once when they were running. When I run... I feel his pleasure. I pray that you will feel the pleasure of God as you run in the freedom of the gospel. Feel the pleasure of not being guilty, of overcoming the grip of sin, of not being enslaved to legalism. Feeling the pleasure of living by the Spirit. Feel the pleasure of having access to God. Being accepted by God. Feeling the pleasure of having a secure future with God. Feeling the pleasure of actually doing what you were created to do to magnify our awesome God. As I was reminded as we were praying before the service, someone prayed, God, we were created to worship you. I pray that you would feel the pleasure of loving and serving one another as your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself.
that you are free to run. Do not let anyone hinder you. So the big so what? If you call yourself a Christian, you have been set free. Stop looking back and look to the cross. Stop looking back at your bondage as a good time and look to Christ who is our hope and healing and forgiveness. If you are sitting here thinking, man, I really want to know this type of freedom, you know what I like to do? I like to talk about it. I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you about the freedom of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about how Christ died for you so that if you are resting in him, if you believe in him and his finished work, you can have the same freedom that Paul is talking about here. I love to talk about the freedom. Living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping into bondage. Are you living in it? Are you relishing in it? You're just in awe of what God has done for us. It also pushes us out. It pushes us out to magnify God and in in the relationships he's put us in. It doesn't make us just sit here idly by, making our ears getting tickled by a fantastic message by Pastor Nate. Man, rough crowd. It's about going out and proclaiming that gospel of Jesus Christ. He has saved us. We are free. Living in the freedom of Christ keeps us from slipping into bondage. Are you free this morning? Let us praise our awesome God as people who are indeed free as we continue to worship him.